Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. God, thank you guys. What a wonderful job this morning. We appreciate them. Hallelujah. Well, I can tell you, I couldn't wait to get here to preach this morning. And uh, I was up half the night, actually. I think I got a couple of hours sleep because this thing has been stirring in me uh, this week. If you have your copy of God's Word, if you'll turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 11. 1 Chronicles chapter 11. And uh, we're going to be looking at a few verses there this morning. Hallelujah. 1 Chronicles chapter 11, and I want to re-begin reading in verse 22. There's actually two passages that are similar, uh, that actually say the same thing with just a little bit of difference. Uh, here in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verses 22 and 23 and 24, it's very similar to 2 Samuel chapter 23 and beginning in verse 20. They're very similar And uh, I'll pull from both of those today. But let me read 1 Chronicles 11 and beginning in verse 22. Benaniah was the son of Jehoiadad, the son of a violent violent man from Kabzeel, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian man of great height, five cubits tall, which is actually seven and a half feet tall. In in Egyptian's hand, there in the Egyptian's hand there was a spear like a weaver's beam, and he went out to him with a staff and wrested it, the spear, out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, did. And won a name among the three mighty men. Verse 25. Indeed, he was more honored than the thirty. But he did not attain to the first three. And David appointed him over all of his guard. This is a fascinating passage of scripture. And this morning I want to preach a few minutes on Benadad, God's man who had had enough. And... When we look at the beginning of this chapter, the first part of this chapter, we see David is being anointed over Israel. He is being anointed over Israel. Matter of fact, verse 1 tells us, Then all the Israelites came together to David at Hebron. They came to that place. They gathered together to David. And uh, up until that time, only one tribe had recognized David as king, and it was the tribe of Judah. They were the only tribe that in all these years, since David was anointed by Samuel, that had recognized him as king. And so uh, the other tribes uh, recognized and sent their loyalties to Saul. And when Saul had died, had put their loyalties behind Saul's son, Ishabeth. And when Ishabeth was was killed in 2 Samuel 4, So the tribes now turn from him and to David. Those who were loyal to him now turn to David. Now this is the third time in Scripture we see David being anointed. The first time, you all know the story, was before his family when he was a young shepherd boy. The second time he was anointed king, he was anointed and recognized by Judah as king of Judah. They anointed him. And then here, this third time, The scripture tells us that David is anointed, that they anointed David. In verse 3, therefore all the others of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel according to the word of the Lord by Samuel. And as I got to thinking about this, I thought, how sad is it that that they only turned to David when all the rest of their choices uh, were, were not working for them. When Ishabeth had died uh, and was taken away from them, and all their other choices, Saul and Ishabeth was gone, now they turned to David. I got to thinking about that, and I thought many Christians are like that. 
They only recognize Jesus as king when all the other choices have crumbled in their life. And how many know we should choose Jesus outright? Not just after every other option has failed. How many know Jesus should be king in our life from the beginning? Amen? From the outright, he's king. And we all should make him king of our lives. And we go down to verse 10 and we see in verse 10, Now these were the heads of the mighty men who David had, who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom with all Israel. We see in verse 10, he speaks of these mighty men. And I'm sure there were mighty women of God that were a part of that also. But these men went into a cave with David when he was being pursued by Saul. And he, they had gone into a cave and hung with David. David brought these men in. They became his mighty men. And they brought them in when David was being pursued. And he was in the cave. And he was being pursued uh, in a society that, uh, that seemed to be against the anointing of God. David was being pursued by those who were against God's anointed one. And society of that time was pursuing David to kill David for Saul's sake. David hid himself in a cave called the Cave of Adullam. And even though he was anointed as king and that anointing was on him, he was hiding out in the Cave of Adullam. 1 Samuel chapter 22 tells us the story, verses 1 and 2 tells us the story of David going into this cave of Adullam. And these men went into the cave with David when he was being pursued and into a place where, where David was, the Bible says in 2 Samuel 23 or 22, it says they were distressed, they were in debt, and they were discontent. They were distressed, they were in debt, and they were discontented. David and all of these men, the scripture says there were close to 400 of them that gathered there. They were distressed, they were in debt, and they were discontented. There's probably people in this church this morning that you're stressed, you're probably in debt. 2020 probably brought you to a place of debt. You need rent, you need, you need a job, you need, you need money to pay some bills. Maybe you're distressed this morning. Maybe you're discontented with where you are in life. And they had gathered in this cave, distressed. And in 2 Samuel 22 says that they were, they were in this cave. And it's, I thought to myself, why did they all come and gather there? What drove them there? What drove these 400 into this cave with David? Why did they, why did they come that way? You know, sometimes when you're desperate, you just got to go where the anointing of God is. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? Sometimes when you get desperate in life, you just got to get where the anointing is and where God is. Sometimes you just got to get where God's going to show up. And sometimes you got to be desperate enough to get there. have been times when I would wake up and I'd say, I've got to get the church today whether it's snowing, sleeting, raining, or hail, because i got to get where the presence of God is. You ever feel that way? You ever felt that way? And I believe that these that were uh, discontented, distressed, that were in debt, that they felt like they just had to be where the anointing was. And the anointing of God was on David. And so they went to this cave, and that's exactly the way that this people were feeling. I'm going where the anointing is. I don't care if all of society is pursuing David. I don't care that there's a madman that's trying, that's, turn, that's loose and trying to kill him. The Spirit of God is on him. And where he is, is where I'm going to be. It's amazing that scripture tells us God never uses the mighty. He never uses the, the, the mighty is never God's choice. He never uses the noble and rarely uses the royal. 
And people, but God loves taking people who are weak, who feel that they have nothing, who feel that they're nobodies, who feel that they have no resume for God to use them. And, but God loves to take people like that, that say that they have nothing, they are nothing, and God loves to take them and use them in a mighty way. If you come where God is, some people will come where the presence of God is and say, God, take my life and use it as you will this morning. Take my life and use me, God. I don't have much. I can't offer much. I'm weak. I don't, I don't have much to offer you. I'm considered a nobody. I don't have much of a resume. But God, I'm going to get where your spirit is and where your presence is. And if you can use me, God, use me. Take my life. And use it this morning. Take my life and use it for your kingdom. Use me for something more than just hobbling around day after day. Worried about my own situation, my own circumstances, my own future. There has to be more to life than just hobbling around, just getting through. And I'm here to tell you that if you'll get where God is, if you'll get where the anointing is, If you'll get to the place God is, God will take what you have and he'll use it and make it meaningful in your life. There's ordinary people. There was ordinary people that went into that cave where there was extraordinary anointing of God. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know what happened in that cave. I don't know what took place in there, what went on in there. You know, if we get to heaven, I hope that we're able to re-watch some videos of some of the things that we've preached and taught over the years. The first video I want to see is I want to see the resurrection. I want to watch the cross. The second video I want to see is I want to watch the day of Pentecost, right? If we can watch it. But I also want to see this video. 400 men went into this cave. They were distressed. They were weak. They were were to the end. And I know that they went in uh, stressed and discontented. They wanted vengeance. They wanted David to kill Saul. But they came out filled with the fire and with the glory of God when they came out. Something transpired in those people while they were in that cave. There was a shift that took place. (coughs) The old value system had died. The old way of doing things had changed. It's like when we come to Jesus. Our old way, our old man dies. We become alive in Christ. Is that not right? Our old way of thinking is gone. Right? When we, when we come to Christ, we are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. And so these had gone into this cave, but when they came out, they were extraordinary. The anointing of God got on them. The fire of God got in them. And they came out, and they did exploits for God. There was a shift in their life. I can tell you that if you'll get around the presence of God and the anointing of God, there'll be a shift in your life. There'll be a shifting in your life. You could say, well, was it the worship of David that changed it? I don't know. Was it the God focus on willingness in the heart to let God, let the, let God, uh, to let go of what never satisfied and to grab hold of what could never fail? You know, sometimes we need to let go of things that we've held on to that never brought satisfaction to our life, and we need to grab a hold of something that cannot fail. How many know you grab a hold of Jesus, it won't fail? You get a hold of the anointing of God, it won't fail this morning. And they came out. They came out determined to honor God. To fight against darkness, determined they were they were they they would be there would be a new king in town. When they came out of there, they determined that David was going to be king. 
And they came out there out as mighty men. They came out extraordinary. I hope that that is in your heart this morning. I hope that it's in your heart that after the year that we've been through, it's felt like some of us have been in a cave. Is that not right? As of, you know, being locked down and all the restrictions and all those things that we've had this past year, I hope that you took advantage of that to draw closer to God. And I'm believing that when we come out of this thing, there's going to be an anointing that's going to be on the church like never before. As those men came out of that cave, something shifted in them. And sometimes we got to get desperate enough for God to say, God, I've got to get something more and something more different than what I have right now. I hope that it's in your heart this morning to fight, to honor God, that it's in your heart that you'll fight for those that don't have a voice, that you'll fight for them, that it's in your heart to love outside of the concerns of your own life this morning. God, there's a bigger reason to live than to just for these things that I've been pursuing. Are you willing to exchange them? Are you willing to begin to pursue God with everything that you have? And pursue God for something bigger. The Bible said they strengthened themselves. They came out of the cave. They were, they were, they were the one God used to bring a new leadership to a nation at that time. They didn't just come out of that cave and said, we want David king. They came out ready to fight to make sure that David was king. And I'm telling you, there's, there's something about the church that has to get inside of us that says that we're willing to fight in this hour to make sure that Jesus is recognized as king of the church and king of America. There's got to be something that gets in us that comes out and says we're going to fight to bring new leadership and to bring a new anointing into this world and into our state, into our nation, into our city. And we have to pray. God always, listen, God always has a church, always has a testimony, always has a people who will rise up out of mediocrity and become mighty in God. I hope that that's in your heart this morning, that that will get in your heart this morning. That what we went through the last year was nothing but God's preparation for the church to come out of that stronger than it's ever been before. That we say, we're going to go where the anointing is. We're going to make sure that Jesus' voice is heard in our nation, in our city, in our lives, in our jobs, and in our world. How many know it's time to make Jesus known throughout the world? You know, he can open every prison and set us free. He can take everyone that is weak and make us strong. He can take the confusion in our life and bring clarity to our life. He can take me out of self-focus and give me the ability to live for the sake of others. He can take me out of, of, my, of cowardness and put his love inside of me. And all of a sudden that love can push me to where now I have courage to fight for what is right to fight for purpose, to fight for my calling, and to fight for my freedom. The scripture tells us that through the God, through these men, God did extraordinary, phenomenal things. And as you read this, and as I read about Benaniah, I thought to myself, man, something's stirring in me. When I began to read about him and I began to read about these mighty men, I thought, man, these guys had some transformation. Something went on on the inside of them. And that began to stir inside of me. And I hope that, it's, that it will stir inside of you this morning. In other words, inside of me, I find this longing for more. I find this longing for more of God. Y'all hearing what I'm saying this morning? Does it even make sense to you? I want more of God this morning. I want more than just church. I want breakthrough in lives. I want to see people come to Jesus. I want to see a city won. 
I want to see the anointing fall on you and you go out and do the exploits that God has called you to. Those of you that are weak, God makes strong. Those of you that are confused, God give clarity to vision for your life. That there be a shift take place. That you're no longer distressed or discontented or even in debt if that's what you are. But something burned inside of me. I I got to thinking this morning about our older saints. And I thought many of them have not been able to come back to church. Some of you have. But my prayer this morning was, I was thinking about, I said, God, I pray that you'll put the spirit of Caleb on all of our seniors this morning. You know what Caleb did? After they got into the promised land, Caleb went to Joshua and this is what he said. He said, Moses promised me that mountain. And I want that mountain. And the Bible said the Spirit of God came on Caleb. And at 85 years old, he drove out the inhabitants of that mountain. And he took that mountain because God had promised it to him. And my prayer for some of you, you say, well, I'm too old to continue in ministry. You're not. Ask God to give you that mountain. Ask God to give you the inheritance. And go for it. Because that's what Caleb did. He went after it. The Bible tells us that during this time, David took back Jerusalem, or took Jerusalem from the Jebusites. But I want to get into this scripture, and I want to get into this passage with Benaniah. I love this passage. And I want us to see a couple of things this morning. I want to bring to your attention as we look at this. Benaniah, the scripture says, was the son of Jehoiada. In other words, he was the son of a priest. Jehoiada was a priest. In other words, Benaniah was a fathered son. He was a son that had been instructed. He was a son that had been trained. The actual, many many commentators talk about the fact that he was actually being trained to be a priest. He was disciplined and he was teachable. You know what that tells me? The importance of example and fathers in people's lives. We all need spiritual fathers. We all need people who speak into our lives. But what allowed Benaniah to step into his purpose was that he was able to be a son. He was able to be instructed. He was able to be taught. He was able to be trained. He was able to be disciplined in his life. That'll lead to everything God has for you. If you're willing to be teachable, if you're willing to be trained, if you're willing to be instructed, God will bring people in your life that'll pour into you. And it all begins with your willingness to receive what God has for you this morning. It said he was the son. And it said that he was a valiant man from Cabazil who had done many deeds. And so it's interesting. Benaniah became one of David's 30 mighty men. He wasn't in his top three, but he was one of his mighty men. The Bible scripture tells us in 2 Samuel that he was among, he was the best among the 30. He was promoted to David's bodyguard and to David's guard over David later. He had promotion because of his faithfulness. And the Bible said he did three exploits, which I thought was interesting. The first one said that he killed two lion-like men from Moab. He killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. He killed a seven and a half foot Egyptian giant. And and he killed him. And he killed all three. It said that he did these exploits. That he was able to do these. And I want to look at these this morning. And so, if you've come into this building this morning, you've ever felt trapped in by your circumstances. And you felt like you've had no control over them. Or there was no escape. This message is for you this morning. If you felt like this morning you've been trapped into your circumstances. If you're here this morning, you feel the enemy is a threat to your existence. That your problem is a threat to your survival this morning. You've come into the right place. 
If you come in here this morning and sin is trying to get over and over and over again, sin is repetitive in your life and you ask for forgiveness and it comes back and you ask for forgiveness and you fight it again and you continue or fighting it, continue fighting it, you've come to the right place this morning. If you come in here this morning and you're in a miserable place, and you say, does God really know where, what I'm going through this morning? I'm here to tell you God does know what you're going through this morning. But I want to take these three encounters that Ben and I had, and I want to encourage you in the Word this morning so that you'll be strengthened, that you'll leave here under the anointing of the Holy Spirit to do the exploits that God has called you to do. First of all, I want you to see this. Number one. Win the battle and destroy doubt by believing and relying on God's supply. I'll say it again. Win the battle and destroy doubt in your life by believing and relying on God's supply. Ben Ananias, look, as we look here at the scripture, we see his first battle. The Bible said that he had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. Two lion-like men of Moab that he had killed. These are lion-like men. Now, if you have some translations, may use the word Ariel. Ariel-like men. It's an interesting word. In, in the Hebrew, it's a compound word, Ari, which means uh, lion. El means God. God, lion-like, God-like. Um, men, in other words, we see the scriptures used two other times in scripture in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 43, verses 15 and 16, and it's used in Isaiah 29, 1 and 2, when God is describing the destruction of Israel, he uses this word Ariel, in other words, the word means to bring destruction, and the root word means altar, an altar of destruction is what it means. In other words, who were these men? These two lion-like men from Moab and who Benaniah had overcome. These were two men who left wake of destruction everywhere they went. These men led a wake of destruction. They would attack, they would pillage, they would destroy. And the only thing that would be left would be ash. And the Bible said Benaniah killed them. In other words, these were, not, these were not just men who fought. These were men, men who were sent to destroy and to absolutely wipe out and plunder and leave nothing but ash. I'm here to tell you the enemy, that's what he wants to do to your life. He wants to plunder you. He wants to steal from you, take from you. He wants to leave a destruction in your life where there's nothing left but ash. But this was the battle that Benaniah had to fight. And in the midst of this battle, as he fought, he had to deal with something in his life as he fought. Every battle, every Christian has to fight doubt in their life. The enemy will use doubt in order to get you to a place to not trust God or believe God. But I've come to the place in my Christian life where I just said, devil, there's no doubt about it. Jesus is on the throne. you got to go from doubt to no doubt about it. But it's interesting. It said that these were lion-like men. Who, and it's interesting from where they were from because that is the root of where their doubt came from. It said that these were men from Moab. They were descendants of Moab. Now, I don't know if you know where Moab came from or the descendants of Moab came from. They were the descendants of Lot's daughters. If you all remember in the book of Genesis, there were five, there were five uh, cities of the plains, Sodom and Gomorrah, and there were three more. And if you all remember, Abraham went there to get his nephew Lot, who was in Sodom. God had said, I'm going to destroy the city. And Abraham said, Lord, if we could find 10 righteous, would you spare it? And, and he negotiated with God. And God said, if you can find 10, I'll spare it. 
and they couldn't find. He went in to get Lot and to pull Lot out and to tell Lot that God's getting ready to destroy this place to bring Lot and his daughters. And as he was pulling them out, he was pulling Lot out, came, Lot's wife came, and Lot's daughters came. But when Lot went to his son-in-laws and said, God's getting ready to destroy this city, the Bible said Lot's son-in-laws turned to him and thought he was joking. I'm telling you, that is the world we live in that is responding to the preaching of the gospel in this hour. Can I tell you God's not joking? Can I tell you that there is going to be a rapture of the church that is coming soon? Can I tell you the Lord's going to return, that he's going to finish this thing up and he's coming for his people? God's not joking. His word is not joking. He said, let every man be a liar. Let God be true. I'm telling you that every jot and tittle in this book will be fulfilled according to the Spirit of God. And you may not think God's serious this morning. I'm here to tell you He's more serious today than He's ever been. He's more serious in this hour. Abraham brings them out and Lot, he wants to escape and Lot wants to run. God says, run, go to the mountains. And Lot says, I don't want to go to the mountains. And he negotiates with God or with Abraham to go to the city of Zar. And he goes to this city, Zar, and he goes there. And because of the, the fire, the brimstone, he becomes fearful. And what's he end up doing? He ends up doing what God told him to do in the first place. The Bible says he runs to the mountains. And he ran to the mountains. And he went there. And as he was there, in a cave. What is interesting is, is when he got there and he was living there, all of a sudden his daughters became hopeless. They came to this place where they had limited perspective of God. Can I tell you that there's no problem that's not too big for God this morning? They got in that hopeless place and they thought that God would not deliver them out of it. You know what they begin thinking? They had the wrong perspective. They think, we've been brought here with our father. Nobody's here. We're never going to have children. We're never going to be able to be married. We're never going to be able to have a life. Their perspective of God was limited. And the reason why some of us don't find breakthrough this morning is your perspective of God is too little this morning. I'm here to tell you we serve a big God this morning. That no problem is too little for God to move on this morning. There's nothing our God cannot do for you this morning. And what happened was they couldn't wait on God. They doubted God. Their lack of trust to God. They, they, they wasn't trusting God. So what did they do? They shamefully took it into their own hands. How many know sometimes we have taken things in our lives because we've not had the patience to wait on God to move for us? We take things into our own hands. And how many know when you take it into your own hands, you make it worse? And they shamefully, they shamefully had an idea. And out of that idea, out of the relationship with their father, there were two nations born, one named Moab and one named Ammon. And it was because of their lack of trust, doubting God, their lack of trust in God, unbelief. In other words, they live by the flesh. When you live by the flesh, you will always doubt God. You will always doubt God. If you live to please the flesh, you will please the appetites of your flesh. And I'm here to tell you, you live by the flesh, the devil will pillage you, he'll take from you, He'll destroy you. He'll leave your life with nothing but ashes. Y'all hearing me this morning? How many know that when you live by the flesh, if you live by the flesh, the enemy will take advantage of that living by the flesh and will pillage your life? We live by the flesh because we doubt God. We doubt that God, we trust God's supply. We, we don't trust him. We doubt his ability to supply and the ability to bring an answer to our biggest problems in life. 
We have to get to the place to where we say, God, I want my flesh to glorify you. I want my flesh to glorify God this morning. Benaniah relied on God and not his... Listen, it doesn't tell us how he defeated those men. It just tells us that he did. But I can tell you this, he didn't rely on his own strength. He didn't rely on his own flesh. I guarantee you God supernaturally gave him the strength to overcome those men. And those men of Moab, I'm here to tell you God can overcome your doubt this morning. You may think my situation's hopeless. I've been waiting on God. I've been waiting on God. Your perspective has been one way or one thought. I'm here to tell you, just keep on waiting on God. He'll show up if you don't doubt, but you'll put your trust in him this morning. If you'll just trust him this morning. If you'll trust him this morning, you'll win the battle and destroy doubt by believing and relying on God's supply. God has a supply this morning. How many know God doesn't run out of answers? <laughs> I guess he does, according to some of you. I say God doesn't run out of answers. God always has a plan. And it may not be yours in the way you want it, but God will bring you through it. Don't, you got to trust him this morning. you got to trust him this morning. Listen, some of y'all have been giving birth to Moabs and Ammons in your life. And what happens is they've come back to pillage you. They've come back to destroy you because you've lived by the flesh and not by the Spirit. I declare this morning that you walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Number two this morning. Win the battle over defeating disobedience by resting in God's sacrifice. Winning the battle over defeat, over defeating disobedience by resting in God's sacrifice. I'm going to skip down to verse 23 and save verse 22, the end of verse 22 for the last. But in verse 23, it said that Benaniah, he killed an Egyptian, a man of great height, five cubics tall. The Egyptian's hand, there was a spear like a weaver's beam, and he went down to him with a staff, rested the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. Now this is, this is powerful. Because when you think about it, here's this Egyptian who had this huge spear. He was a big man. Some estimated that he weighed over 500 pounds. I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in, in wrestling a guy that's seven foot five and 500 pounds. <laughs> but Benaniah, he didn't think twice about it. He didn't think twice about it. You know why? Because he was in his way of God's purpose for his life. And the church has got to get something inside of them. We've got to get in the cave or get someplace where God shifts in our spirit and we says, we don't care how big the situation is. We don't care how big the obstacle is. We're going to fight and fight and fight until there's breakthrough. That's how the church, we've got to get to the place in the church where we say, we don't care how big the government is. We don't care how big the negativism that comes from society we don't care how tall they are. We don't care what their influence is. Right is right. The word of God is right. And if the word of God is right, we're going to stand and fight. Because God's going to make a way. God's going to make a way. The Bible said that he had a, he had a, a spear, a weaver's beam, which means big spear. It said he wrestled it out of his hand and killed him with his own spear. I want to tell you, that was no small feat. And all Ben and I had was a shepherd's staff, which he wrestled it out of his hand. For the Egyptian, see, it's interesting that this Egyptian, being from Egypt, what did that represent? To the children of Israel, that is the land in which they were enslaved. 
Matter of fact, in David's time, they were the center of world culture and influence. In other words, they were the influence of culture at that time. They were the world system of that day. And here, what what he's fighting is, is he's fighting the world system. He's fighting this giant that represents the world system. And what does the world system do? It pulls you away from God. It attracts you to the world. And it lures you to worldly pleasure so that your life would be a disobedience to God. That's what this giant, this is the giant he had to fight. It's the giant that came to produce disobedience in his life. I want to tell you, you live a life that is worldly, that goes after the world, there will be disobedience that flows throughout your life. The children of Israel were slaves in Egypt. They were bound there. It's where temptation came from. And Ben and I took that shepherd's staff, and this is what he did. He knocked it out of that giant's hand, and he took that spear, and the very weapon that was to be used to kill him, he took to kill the giants. Hallelujah. Egypt represents disobedience in God. Ben and I took the spear that was going to kill him and killed him. Listen, Ben and I did exactly what Jesus did. When Jesus came to this earth, you know what he did? He took the spear out of the devil's hand. And he took what the devil tried to use to take him out and you and me out. And he took it and turned around and he used it to destroy the devil himself. Jesus defeated death through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He turned it around. Jesus took what was meant to destroy you and turn it around to defeat the enemy for us. Jesus died. Listen, listen to me. By Jesus dying, he took every weapon the devil had out of his hands. Can I tell you that you live in victory this morning? You live in the newness of life. You have victory this morning. You fight from victory this morning. Victory is yours. The enemy no longer has a weapon that he can use. Jesus has defeated it. We just need to learn to not walk after the world, but walk after the Spirit of God. Don't allow the world to lure us. Don't allow the world to come in and and distract us from the purpose of God. Ben and I was saying, I'm not going to be distracted anymore. I'm not going to be lured by Egyptian culture. I'm not going to be lured by the pleasures of this world. But I'm going to live in the middle of God's will. There's a shift that's taking place in my life. And what the enemy has tried to destroy me with, God has put that weapon in my hand. And I'm going to use it to destroy the devil at his own game. Hallelujah. How many thank God for the blood and for the cross this morning? And for the work of the cross. Victory is in you. Can I tell you this? Victory is in your DNA this morning. Woo! You born again. Victory's in your DNA this morning. You've already won the victory. It's a matter of just, and he took a shepherd's staff. He took what represented God's discipline, God's law, God's rescue. Listen, truth will set the devil down every time if you walk in truth. If you'll walk in truth, the devil will be defeated every time. When the battle over defeating disobedience by resting in God's sacrifice, you can rest in the sacrifice of who Jesus was this morning. I'm resting in his sacrifice. I'm resting in who he is. I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. I am seated in heavenly places with him. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. You have the ability to be extraordinary this morning. 
to do exploits for God. Why? Because Jesus is on the inside. And every time I say that, I come back to that song we used to sing years ago. It's Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Y'all remember that? Back in the 80s when we thought we were cool? That's when you started putting uh, the words on the wall with the, with the uh, transparencies, you know? And you had to have a good transparency guy, because if you didn't, you was always behind. I always thought our transparency guy was drunk. <laughs> he wasn't. I'm just kidding. He's just a little slow. You got to have a good transparency guy. But we would sing that song. Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Oh, what a change in my life. And then I like the last verse. It said, it's the Holy Ghost and fire changing my desire. Oh, what a change in my life. It's the Holy Ghost and fire changing my desire. Oh, what a change in my life. Pastor Adam, you got to learn this song. It's the Holy Ghost and fire changing my desire. Oh, what a change in my life. Oh, what a change in my life. Hallelujah. We need the Holy Ghost and fire this morning. Living on the inside, ever changing us. And so finally this morning, number three, we need to win the battle over devouring despair by remembering God's sustaining work. We have to win the battle over devouring despair by remembering God's sustaining work. Verse 22, I love this. My goodness, I got so excited. I love this. I wish I was Ben and I. If we ever do a drama with Ben and I in it, I want to be Ben and I. Just saying. It says he had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab, and he also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. Hallelujah. He destroyed the flesh so that we wouldn't have to doubt God. He conquered the world so that we wouldn't disobey God. But I'm here to tell you the devil will use despair and, our, and will use despair. He'll use our hurts and our problems. The Bible says this about the devil. He says in 1 Peter 5 that our adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The Bible said, here's Benaniah, he's walking along. And as he's walking along, he looks and he sees a lion in a pit. First of all, it's a lion. I'm just going to tell you all, it's a lion. And if you're going to fight a lion, you got to know how to fight a lion. Right? You just don't jump in, or at least, unless you know that God is with you. If you know God's with you, then you can jump in. But it said not only was there a lion that was in a pit, but it said it was a snowy day. How many know that even defeats your chances even more? The fact that it's in a pit and on a snowy day. And as he walked by, he looked down, and this lion is in the pit. Now, this is what the Bible doesn't tell you, but I'm going to tell you this is what I think. All right? And you can, when you tell the story, you can give your own version. But as Benaniah walked by and he looked down, he saw a lion in the pit on a snowy day. Now, I believe that that lion just wasn't down there resting. I believe that lion was down there devouring something. Some commentators think that maybe that lion had a sheep or had, a, uh, had an animal from a flock or, 
or had something that was devouring that didn't belong to him. And as Benaniah walked by and he saw, he looked down in there and he saw that lion. I don't think he was just looking to fight a lion. I think there was a cause behind what he was doing. But as he walked by and he saw whatever that lion may have been devouring, something said in his heart, this thing is not going to devour anything else on my watch. Y'all hearing me? He saw whatever that lion was devouring, something got in his heart, something got in him that said, I am not going to, this is the last thing that lion will ever try to devour. And something got in him, and he jumped in there, and, and, and he started fighting with that lion, and the Bible said he slew that lion. And the thing with Christians is, we have walked by pits, and we've watched the devil devouring our children, devouring families, devouring marriages, devouring our young people, and we have walked by. But now it's time for the spirit of Benaniah to get on the church and say, we're not going to allow the devil to continue to devour what belongs to God. Are you all with me? He said this. He said, the spirit of God is on me, and I'm not going to cower. It's either going to be me or that lion. He jumped in there, and he jumped in and began to fight. He did it because he was more concerned about what that lion may have been devouring than he was his own, his own safety and his own desires, his own security. That's what the church has got to begin to do. we got to begin to say, regardless of how it affects me, I'm going to fight for what the enemy is trying to devour. His mind wasn't on his safety and his security. He was trying to rescue something that was being destroyed by the lion that was taken. And all of a sudden he began to fight for something that was greater than himself. I think we as a church got to learn to begin to fight for something that's greater than us. We've got to lose, we've got to have more concern about others than ourselves. We've got to come to the point where we have to risk everything to help others. Listen, we who are strengthened are going to have to be willing to jump in and fight for those who are weak. Fight for those who have lost strength. And have lost the ability to stand. And I don't know about you, but sometimes we sit back and let the devil just take out of our lives, out of our church families, out of our home, whatever he wants to take. I think it's time that we get like Benaniah and say, devil, you have dragged away your last prey. Even if it's a snowy day, we're going to fight you to the end. Look, the church age in America has lived for itself and for comfort all these years. We've really not known a lot of the pains of society. I was reading an article this week as I was doing research, and I came across an article in 1980s in Vietnam. Do you know the Vietnamese government was pulling children out of Christian homes? And they were sending them to state government schools. The pastors in Vietnam had to run to the jungles because they were being pursued. Because the Vietnam government thought that what Bible teaching was doing was brainwashing them and ruining them. And so they began to pull them out of their homes. They began to take them away. And the pastors and families had to run to the jungles for their safety. And the way they survived was that Christian people would take food to them and take their needs so they could survive. And if they were caught, it was punishable by death. This is the 1980s, y'all. The 1980s. 
Now, we've been fortunate enough that that's not happened here yet. But we're beginning to see the rumblings of it. I'm telling you, it wouldn't surprise me if they start coming after Christian homes. You homeschoolers, you better pray. Because I'm here to tell you there's going to be somebody that's going to come after you and going and to accuse you of doing harm to your children because you decide to homeschool them and use biblical principles to raise them for their life. I'm telling you, it's coming down the road. And they're going to come after you. But you better be like Benaniah and say, I'm willing to fight the lion in a pit on a snowy day. And stand up for what is right. I'm here to tell you, it's a snowy day now. We're living in a snowy day, y'all. And God is looking for some men and women who, who will understand the fight, willing to give themselves as a living sacrifice to God, as the scripture tells us in Romans 12, which is our reasonable sacrifice. And the truth is, many of you have come in, you've been eaten up by despair. The enemy has drugged you into a pit. He's gnawed on you. You've been devoured. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus already fought that fight. Jesus already won that victory. Jesus has already won that fight. We have nothing to be afraid of. Jesus said, now as the Father has sent me, I also send you. You're called to the fight. Listen, we have to be called to the fight. You know why? Because... There are people out there who do not have a voice. Somebody's got to be their voice. Somebody's got to be the voice for the children of this generation. I'm telling you, somebody's got to fight. Indoctrination is going on in our schools. They're being taught perversion. High schools. They're being taught to, to know God and to have no and to have no uh, and to have no uh, no respect for their country. Our universities are building radical agents against God and country. We have to get in the pit and fight the lion over the unborn. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? We've got to fight for the unborn. We got to fight for the defenseless. This is not a day for us to live for ourselves. Pastor Adam, if you'll come. I don't know what your battle is, and I don't know what mine is. But I'm here to tell you, I am, I, I just, something's rising up in me this morning. We can't be passive anymore. We can't walk by the pit anymore and watch the lion devour our young people. Devour our children, devour everything we believe in as believers and just sit by and say, well, one day it'll be all right. We have to be like those men that came out of the cave of Adullam and said, there's a new king now and we are going to make his name known and we're going to put him on his throne. That's what got into Benaniah. He wanted a new king in town. There's a new king that's arrived. I'm here to tell you Jesus has always been king. But it's time for the church to put him in his rightful place. It's time for us to fight for what is right. To go after what belongs to God. Come on, some of you. Some of you have got to get in the fight this morning. Fight from your family being devoured. Fight that the power of drugs be destroyed in your neighborhood. To believe God for somebody that doesn't have the strength to believe. God is able. 
And you've got to say this morning like me, I will not walk by one more lion. Are you all with me this morning? I'm telling you. We better get ready. Lions are reaching up and grabbing and pulling men down into the pit and devouring them. And they're too weak to fight back. They're not strong enough to stand on their own. Our young people in this hour are being barraged by perversion and immorality in their mind. And I'm here to tell you the devil is pulling them off the scene and dragging them into the pits and just devouring their lives. And when they're finished with them, they just leave them there to die. And, it's, and for some, it costs them everything. Their life, their future. And what do we, what do we as the church, we continue to walk by and look and watch the lion devour But nothing rises up in us. Nothing rises up in us. I'm telling you there are things being interwoven into our culture that blows my mind, y'all. I seen this lady on the news the other day. Y'all ain't going to believe this one. But it's a true story. She said that children born should not be called babies. They should be called Thebes. They should be called Thebes. You know why? She wants, their, wants Congress to pass a law that children can't be identified as boy and girl until at least they're four years old. And they can decide for themselves who they are. I'm here to tell you God made them male and female. Right? You can tell right from the beginning, right? He made it easy. <laughs> But you know what? We keep walking by that pit and we keep letting that kind of thinking pull, pull, pull a generation in. Pull them into the pit and begin to devour them. But we need some Benanias this morning. Stand with me if you would this morning. We need some Benanias that'll walk by and say, Devil, no you don't. When was the last time your heart was broken? I can just say this this morning. Let the lions roar and let the giants shout. Because I've got a rock for every giant and I've got a spear for every, every lion. Let them roar. Let them roar. Let it roar. Let it roar. Let the giants shout. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. Y'all ever hear that one? That's what my dad used to say. Go ahead and fight them. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. I said, but dad, you don't understand. The bigger they are, the harder they punch too. <laughs> Holy Spirit, give us the spirit of Benaniah. Shift us this morning. Shift this congregation. Shift us from the place to where We don't doubt your word or doubt who you are, that we feel there's no problem too big for you to fix. God, I'm waiting on you. Some of you young people that are praying for husbands and praying for wives, I'm telling you, wait on God. Wait on God. Don't go do it yourself. Don't settle for less. Some of you are waiting for God to move in a situation Let God, wait on God, let God move. Let God move. I'm here to tell you that that spirit from Moab must die. Trust in God, trust in God, trust in God. You say, well, you don't know what I've been through. I'm here to tell you, I may not know all you've been through, but I know the God who you're trusting in, and he's faithful this morning. You just got to reach up again and just let God know, God, 
I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you this morning. And some of you this morning, you're facing big obstacles. You got a giant in the way that represents the world, and the world is putting pressure on you. You've got friends putting pressure on you, wanting you to do things that you're not supposed to do. You've got a world that's pulling you, culture's pulling you pulling you right out of the hands of God, pulling you right out of the presence of God, but you've got to stand up and say, I'm slaying this giant. I'm knocking the weapon out of the enemy's hands and I'm using what God has put in my hand. I'm going to turn it on him and slay him this morning. You have to slay the world in your life. Slay Egypt in your life. Slay Egypt in your life today. Quit longing back for what you you thought you used to have. Well, pastor, I went back to that old boyfriend. He said he loved me. I know he hits me, but I'll get over it. Then some of us this morning, we have to take the stand of saying, I'm going to fight a lion in a pit on a snowy day. I'm taking my country back. I'm taking my city back. I'm taking my nation back. I'm taking my family back. I'm taking my home back. I'm taking my freedom back. I'm taking my peace of mind back. If any of that's you this morning, I want you to step out of where you are and join me down here at this altar. We're going to pray this morning. I'm not going to lay hands on anybody, but we're going to pray this morning. But if that has spoken to your heart this morning in some way, I want you to come and gather around this altar. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.